1: I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis.
0: Hello, Latricia, and hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we are excited to try something a little different and new. We have several recordings from different listeners and supporters. We're going to reflect on excellence that has occurred in the Black community over the last decade.
2: Hi, my name is Anisha, and my creative passion is providing positive representation of marginalized groups through video media, particularly Black people at the intersections of other marginalized identities, which would include identities such as womanhood, LGBTQ identities, and disability. I think in the past decade, we've seen a consistent incline in this kind of representation with shows such as a Black Lady Sketch Show, Insecure, Empire... Pose, The Get Down, and movies such as Moonlight. I also think we're seeing a big change in the genres of films about and starring Black people. So now we have horror films such as Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us. Fantasy series and movies such as Sleepy Hollow, The Book of Eli, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Superhero films such as Black Panther in the series Black Lightning, Luke Cage, and Watchmen. I also think that the types of content made about our people and culture has evolved in this decade. Greetings.
3: I'm Ramonda Geis of Mocha Southern Vale. Recently, I noticed what seemed to be an upsurge in Black women crafting and creating. When I really gave it some thought, I realized that this isn't really new. We're just getting back to our roots. I personally have long had an interest in crafting. As a child, I remember watching the sewing programs that would air on PBS. As I got older and learned more about our foreparents, I realized that at our core, people of the African diaspora are an innovative, creative people. Wherever we have seen a need, we have created tools and devices to meet those needs. From the pyramids and irrigation systems of Egypt, to the sweetgrass baskets made by the Geechee of South Carolina, to the intricate braiding patterns and beading, and a personal favorite of mine, quilting. The enslaved peoples of Africa used a secret code stitched into quilts to learn the roots from one safe place to the next on the Underground Railroad because it was illegal in slaveholding states to teach slaves to read. Slaves could not communicate with each other in writing. But because slaves of, the, of all backgrounds shared an oral history of storytelling coupled with a knowledge of textile production and African art, an art form which embodies African symbolic systems and designs, they discovered they were able to communicate complex messages in the stitches, patterns, designs, colors, and fabrics of the quilt. This helped many fugitive slaves escape to freedom. It is my belief that we as a community have a responsibility to keep these crafts and skills alive by passing on the knowledge and importance of them to our children and grandchildren. This is a large part of why quilting is so meaningful to me.
0: Latricia, what's your daughter said about black media was so interesting i didn't realize how many genres have been impacted by black directors or even writers one thing i also thought about was i'm not sure if she said this but the black documentaries we've had some powerful black documentaries over the last decade if it it was in discussion of prison reform or the Central Park Five. So that was so good to reflect on how we're being more impactful in the media. What were some of your thoughts when you heard her list?
1: I thought it was very important how she talked about representation of marginalized people within the Black community. And as I was listening, I thought about how she's so right. There are so many movies and shows now who have become inclusive. You see more women. You see more of the LGBT community represented. Mental health, like we talked about recently, the film Loose, and how it talked about mental health issues, it talked about sexual assault and different issues that we face in the black community, how these films and television shows are bringing this out.
0: Yes, and I think it goes well with the Kwanzaa principle of self-determination. We're defining ourselves and telling our own stories more so in the last decade. And that reminds me of something
1: I think you talked about in a previous episode about Jordan Peele and how he said in his films that he's making sure that he's going to cast black people as leading characters, or he's going to cast Black people in the leading roles in his film. And the fact that he stepped out of the normal comfort zone and created these Black horror films, something that we hadn't seen previously.
0: Yes, that was one of the good news sections that I spoke of, his comment. The other recording that we heard was in regards to Black crafts, when I think of that, I think of creativity. We are very creative people. And it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of resources for us to be creative is one of the beauties that I think of when I think of black creativity. What were some of your thoughts when you heard Ramonda of Mocha Southern Bell discuss the black crafts over the last decade?
1: I loved how she talked about the importance of quilting, and I love quilting. I love making quilts, and I I love how she talked about stories being woven into these quilts because during the time of slavery, the enslaved Africans weren't able to read and write, but they still were able to get their messages across through these quilts and how it seems like a lot of that had gotten lost, and here we are again spending a lot of time back in crafting. I know that I I'm a part of a quilting class and I'm the only black person in my quilting class. So, I think it is important that we keep that creativity alive. And she mentioned also about the sweetgrass baskets and I know that on several occasions going to Charleston, South Carolina, how i witnessed the ladies sitting down weaving the baskets and even making flowers out of the sweet grass and just how resourceful we are with our creativity and how using our creativity can help our community to to grow and blossom financially
0: yes we grew up together And my grandma made so many people quilts. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say my grandma made at least 30 quilts for people. No charge. Wow. She hand-stitched her quilts. (laughs) She didn't have a sewing machine. So for me, it's also beautiful in its design, but it's also very priceless due to the hard work that she did.
1: Exactly. It's priceless, and it's so meaningful. It's so meaningful when you're able to receive a handcrafted gift that will last for your entire life if you take good care of it, and you can pass yes. it on generation after generation. I know people who have quilts that have been passed on from their great-grandmother to their grandmother to their mother to them, and their passing it on to their grandchildren. So I think handcrafting items is very meaningful.
0: I couldn't agree more. And another thing I would like to add on top of that, my grandma, she gave me my blanket. I don't have descendants. But I also think about knowing that if I did have descendants, if I inherited from my mom, I would have thought, my grandma slept underneath this very same blanket. So what did you say it really added even more value and meaning
4: to it? Hi, my name is Ashley Smith. I'm the daughter of Latricia Smith, one of the co hosts on the Living the Principles podcast. And I just wanted to talk about the last decade. I entered the decade as a 20 year old and I will be exiting it as a 30 year old. So I really came of age during the 2010s in a big way. And one of the biggest things I think I noticed was the push for natural hair and knowing your black history, um, that I don't think I, I don't think I experienced in the same way as children who were growing up in the 2010s when I grew up in the school system in the early 2000s getting better hair care, getting products for your hair made for us by us, getting books published, getting books about hair care published, especially for little girls, getting books about um, just like loving the skin you're in. Um, just a lot of black excellence comes back into the fray in the 2010s. We see a lot more um, black excellence in film and on television and stuff now as well a lot more natural hairstyles in those. Representations as well. And as we close out the year, we see that in a lot of pageants Miss Universe, Miss America, black women are winning. So, yeah, I think 2010 was a great year for black women, black women's hair care, black women's skin care, seeing black women bold and beautiful on the screen. Thanks a lot. My name
5: is Serena Holmes and I am the Executive Director for Outdone with Ovarian Cancer, a 501c3 based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We strive to provide not only emotional support, but also financial assistance to cancer survivors. In my quest to network and raise funds for this organization, I have been pleasantly surprised by the number of members of our African-American community who are in a financial position to assist us because they have found their way to the road to financial independence through real estate acquisition. Countless decades have passed during which our grandparents and great-grandparents have had their land stolen from them through sneaky land dealings at county tax offices with books that were cooked and rightful land ownership by blacks erased. Farms and fields were snatched from our ancestors and with it, the opportunity to build generational wealth. Forced by segregation to depend upon ourselves, we developed bustling communities in places like Tulsa, Atlanta, and Rosewood where black banks, law offices, medical practices, and the like thrived. Unfortunately, these communities were destroyed at the hands of jealous whites, either by fire, direct bodily harm, Or ordinances that built highways directly through our property. Unfair lending practices by national banks and even federal housing agencies led to millions of blacks losing their homes due to foreclosure or not even being allowed to qualify for the loans in the first place. Within the past four years, however, there has been a slow but steady shift upward. Blacks of all ages are acquiring land, residential property, and commercial buildings in growing numbers. They are flipping, wholesaling, and buying properties to hold and rent. They are essentially buying back the blocks that were stolen from our ancestors, gaining the wealth that has been denied to us for far too long. Land equals wealth in this country, and as members of our community are finding their financial footing in real estate, recognizing our strength in numbers, as well as the strength of the black dollar, we are turning a corner and headed towards progress that I believe we will not soon relinquish. We are beginning to trust black financial institutions again by depositing our black dollars there. I am proud to witness our rise from the ashes, the targeted spending of our black dollar, and our march towards financial independence as a people through real estate acquisition.
0: I love that your daughter talked about natural hair in so many different avenues, not only our everyday lives, but also pageants. I did rejoice seeing that some of the pageant winners had Afrocentric hair or just their natural hair, and I went natural in 2001. I was like 18 years old, and it was such a rarity to see a black woman with natural hair, Dean, so it's more common to see it now, and it It may not be celebrated as much as people would like for it to be celebrated, but it's sort of the attitude, I'm here as I was designed to be, and I don't care what you think about it. So I definitely am grateful for the growth in accepting ourselves as we were born.
1: Exactly. And like you said, it may not be as acceptable in society at large. Back in 2001, when you went back to your natural roots, it wasn't as acceptable as it is now. And how she talked about over the last decade, we've seen over the last decade how people are on television. Newscasters and commentators have decided that they're going to rock their natural hair.
0: Yes. I also think about how even the military has implemented change in how female members can wear their hair. Women can wear locks in certain branches of the military now, and I believe that is so important.
1: I do, too, because there was a point in time where there was a lot of flack given to black women wearing their natural hair in the military In fact, I even think there was something that came out in the news about it. I can't really remember the story, but I I know that there was this big deal about it.
0: And I can speak from personal experiences. Having natural hair in 2001 to 2005 when I was in the military, when I was in the Marine Corps, it was nightmarish. I remember that one person said my hair looked like a bird's nest. Because I had my hair in individual braids, but it was just my natural hair, which was maybe to my ears. And they told me to undo it that way. So I undid it. And then they were like, oh, my gosh, your hair looks like a bird's nest. Why doesn't your hair look like Beyonce or Mary J. Blige? Those women have weaves and wigs. And my mom mailed me a wig to wear in Iraq. So I would get less slack so I just think of stuff like that and for women to be able to wear dreadlocks and not have to be punished for it or made fun about it. I just, I'm just really glad that's a change. And also states are starting to ban hair discrimination. So far there's been two states that has banned hair discrimination. And another thing I would like to talk about, squishing is the discussion of real estate because, okay, businesses generate money, but also real estate. How did you feel about some of Serena's message concerning real estate?
1: I thought she was spot on and think that it is our responsibility to take back our communities and own the property just like our ancestors did and, and our family members in the past who worked so hard to acquire land and homes and commercial buildings, like she talked about, the booming Black communities that were destroyed. I think that's something that we could definitely go back to. And I do believe that real estate is one of the easiest ways to acquire wealth.
0: I agree as well. And it made me think of a previous episode, where we shared good news about Tulsa real estate. It was a crowdfund type of endeavor, but they purchased a building in Atlanta and it'll have a co-op for business owners and you can do some small movie scenes with it. I even thought about Tyler Perry buying all that land in Georgia and the wealth that he's acquiring from that, not only helps him, but it helps so many people. And he started to be able to host things that's relatable to the Black community at his studio.
1: Yeah, I think that was an amazing investment that Tyler Perry made. And to be able to have the money to do it is amazing. There are so many workshops surrounding real estate investment. You don't have to have Tyler Perry money in order to invest in real estate you just have to have some knowledge and i think it's so important to attend these workshops and seminars to learn about real estate acquisition
0: i'm in a facebook group and it talks a lot about different things concerning finances one thing it talks about also is real estate and this one couple bought a Duplex. They lived there for three years, so the person on the other side of the duplex was actually paying their mortgage. And they saved money, bought a bigger home, and they've doubled their money since because of that wise investment. And I'm just starting to see social media helps us a lot with not only finances, but politics and natural hair. I see that we are starting to try to impact things that concern us. By uniting on those platforms.
1: Speaking of which, one of the other things Serena mentioned in her comments was about how we're going back to black banking institutions. I remember there was a hashtag called BankBlack and that hashtag spread around social media.
0: You are very right about the hashtag, but I also remember a big influence of that was also Killer Mike, because I personally went to the Raleigh-Durham area to put some of my money in the bank. And that particular year, because I do Kwanzaa, I was doing Kwanzaa blogs at the end of each year, mm-hmm. there was a million dollars added to black banks. And I believe most of it was from Killer Mike's influence.
1: Yeah. Killer Mike is the one who started the hashtag, Bank Okay. Yeah. And speaking of Killer Mike, he is also someone who does a lot of investment in real estate in the Atlanta area. He's not just a, or he's also a businessman.
0: Yes, he does speak about that also. And T.I. as well. I remember he was trying to acquire a lot of businesses from his own neighborhood.
1: Get the education and knowledge to be able to acquire real estate.
0: And like Serena said, maybe, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. That was Ashley, who talked about the books and all the other material. But there's books on real estate. There's YouTube videos. There's online courses that you can pay a little of nothing to start to learn how to invest in real estate as well.
1: Don't forget about the podcast.
0: Yes. And. This brings us effortlessly to our next two recordings. Killer Mike is not only into real estate and putting money into black banks, but he also is in politics. And Tasha, who is a radio show host in Houston, Texas, had an interesting take on some of the positive things that has occurred in politics. Let's listen to Tasha.
3: I'm going to take a different approach to this. I honestly believe the best thing that could have happened to the black community is the election of Donald J. Trump. And I say this because it's brought some of the racists out of the woodworks. We're able to see a lot of us and understand the policies, the acts, the bills that are being introduced on the House and Senate committee floors that is really trying to digress us back to antebellum slavery, take us back to the South after we were supposedly emancipated. And a lot of us are starting to wake up and realize
6: it's not only time for us to pay attention, but to fight. Hey everybody, this is Dahlia Kinsey from the School Nutrition Dietitian Podcast. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of good news when it comes to improvements in nutrition and health outcomes for African Americans. A lot of preventable diseases that are linked to nutrition continue to disproportionately affect African Americans. There are lots of different factors at play. Among these would be unequal access to health care, unequal access to neighborhoods that are set up to encourage movement, meaning do you have sidewalks throughout your neighborhood? How pedestrian-friendly is your neighborhood? Are there playgrounds in your neighborhood? These are things that we see being an issue in predominantly African-American areas. Beyond that, inequality we see in the workforce is going to affect health outcomes as well because if you have to work a large number of hours, like 60 hours a week or more in order to meet your needs and take care of your family, then you are unlikely to be able to spend a lot of time cooking and preparing food. Then if you have an added challenge of living in a food desert, as a lot of African Americans do, meaning it really is a chore to get to where you can buy groceries, like you have to catch a bus or it's 20 miles away. There can be lots of different challenges depending on whether you're in a really rural area or if you're in a city. The good news is there's a lot of information out there to help you try and work within the confines of those types of challenges. And of course, we aren't all affected by those hurdles. So if you are in a position, if you have the privilege to have good access to food and you have the resources that you need, it really is something you can do for the culture, for the community to take care of yourself. Anything positive you do for your health has a ripple effect in your family and in your community. You are not the only one who will benefit from self-care. So please think about that as we're going into this new year, how you taking care of yourself is a way that you honor your ancestors and you help the entire community.
0: It's very interesting that Tasha made that argument. I have also wondered if black people will become more involved in voting because of how taxes and other laws can impact those who are more marginalized. A lot of that has to do with finances as well, because there's been some benefits for people in the middle class. It may be our tax bracket has changed or we could put more money in our retirement or other savings. And I think about some of the stuff I've seen. This affects not only black people, affects everybody, the environment his ignorance of the environment or a lot of assistance after school programs and assistance with food snap i think of all that stuff and i hope this does make a lot of black people involved in the importance of voting even though local politics have a huge impact i hope just overall that seeing some of the stuff has brought that to our attention. Sadly, even in the last election, there hasn't been any statistical significance with black people, but I hope it does turn.
1: What's so interesting to me about this is the fact that this is the most racially diverse Congress in history. So we have all of these racial and ethnic minorities serving in Congress you would think that there would be some type of significant impact because there are more women, there are more black people, there are more Asians, Hispanics, people who are generally from marginalized groups.
0: And I think part of that is people only look at the major, I'm not going to say people only because it's not good to deal in absolutes. I think majority of people are more concerned large elections.
1: That is true. Not realizing the impact that the local community has beyond federal level. A lot of people look at the federal level and they focus on the presidential election, but there are elections at the local level that are probably more impactful to you personally than those at the federal level.
0: Yes, I can't recall what state, but there was a young man who was in a political position. He spoke about injustice towards black people and I felt like he was very articulate, but I felt like that was such a huge impact on not only the people in that room, but the people who interact with those people in that room. Because maybe there was a cop in there, he said, Well, it is something I don't think about. So I think I heard this quote one time it said proximity is power. I think being in the proximity of the people in your community will make a bigger impact as well, not only just what you sign off as a law, but also what you do.
1: Yeah, that really does make a difference. Don't just show up when you're wanting somebody to vote for you, but show up all the time. Be president in the community.
0: There's a lot of things that can happen to impact the community outside of financial well-being. And Dahlia briefly touched on it when she said, does your neighborhood have sidewalks? So even the people in political positions, are they bettering the community physically? Well, she touched on a lot of stuff in the health realm that was very surprising. What were some things that sounded surprising to you? I wasn't surprised
1: about the health care issues because I know that health care issues are a big thing in the Black community because of the inequality in healthcare and services and the ability to be able to go to the doctor and get to the hospitals. I knew that was an issue, but the thing that surprised me was the issue about the food because I thought I thought we were doing better with food because there had been some healthy food initiatives and more healthy options in the schools. So I was surprised to hear that. We're still on a downstroke when it comes to food, but I do understand what she said about how some people live in places where they don't have access to food. They have to travel to go to the grocery store. And I know I remember recently seeing someone with one of those rolling carts walking to the grocery store. So I hadn't really thought about that, the effort that it takes for some people to even go to the grocery store to get food. These are things that Many of us just take for granted. You're not thinking that people have to get on the bus and go to get groceries and try to come home with a bunch of groceries on the bus. That can be a lot.
0: And what I think about personally, well, not personally, but through observation in our own community, they closed the walmart on Murchison Road. Did they? They did. It's been closed for quite a while. I used to stop by there sometime on my way to Toastmasters, but they closed it. And I realized how closing a community store can impact the community even more. There were a lot of people walking to that store. Now, where are they going to walk to? They're going to walk to Family Dollar and they're going to get cereal, hot fries, um, hot dogs, bologna sandwiches. Only the stuff that you can get at Family Dollar versus Walmart. Dahlia, who is very thorough, did a great job on her research. But like you I was surprised about health hasn't improved greatly. I also was surprised because I think of all the vegetarians and the vegans we hear all this stuff about. Uh to me there seems to be like a movement in healthy eating because of veganism and vegetarians but I imagine it's such a small population once I thought about it after she said that
1: and I was thinking the same thing and I was also thinking about how there has been an upswing of community gardens and there's been an upswing of healthy restaurants and I was like wow so I guess I'm just surprised I guess There's something we're missing. But you know what it is? Are those things in the Black communities?
0: They are, but when I see that, it's like our good news. It's one school in one state. So I believe two things make an impact. Not only time, but also quantity. So I think in the upcoming decade. Maybe we will see high blood pressure start to decrease, and more black people concerned about their health. But one thing also I think about is people know that hot cheetos for breakfast is not a good idea, but sometimes it's the most convenient,
1: yeah, you're right, and I think convenience is a big thing, and I think we live in a time where people are so busy, they have so many things going on that it's easier to do something fast and unhealthy than to take the time out to prepare a healthy meal.
0: Yes. Dahlia was one of our previous guests. Please go back and listen to that episode because there's so much that we're talking about now that goes in depth in that particular episode. We have talked about a lot of different pockets of concerns or achievements over the last decade. we talked about crafts health, hair, real estate, media, politics, and all of this encompasses one thing, education. Please tune in to our next two recordings concerning education. Hello, I am Phyllis G. Williams, owner of Progress Promoter LLC. And of course, you know this voice from Living the Principles podcast. I have been a special education teacher for 13 years. Over the last decade, I have seen a greater push for a quality education that's fair for black children. This looks like advocating for kids to finish high school, scholarship assistance, and awareness of discrepancies. Some discrepancies include the prison-to-school pipeline, where there's even been documentaries on it. It um discrepancies also look like the underrepresentation of black children in the gifted program, but the overrepresentation of black children in the special education program. It looks like redistricting in order to be discriminatory in some states. There's a lot more awareness of some of the unfair advantages that's occurring in schools across America, decades after Brown versus Board of Education. I believe this awareness will lead to positive change and not just lip service.
7: So I decided to talk about Black families or homeschooling because I have one great example, which is my sister, who is homeschooling three of her kids. And she's doing a perfect job. I feel that one of the reasons why she turned to homeschooling and many families are turning to homeschooling is because they are no longer relying on the school system to educate their kids how they need to be educated. Um, Unfortunately, in a lot of areas we have where they don't have enough funds, whether it's, you know, the school district doesn't have enough funds or they just don't care about educating our kids the way they need to be educated, um, especially when it comes to, you know, history or even just the basic uh, subjects. So unfortunately you have the school districts that, you know, lose their funding, especially Philadelphia. I could speak for Philadelphia and that's where she lives too. And that's where I was raised in their um, school system. And I know firsthand the difference from how that school system is to where I, when I moved to Pittsburgh my senior year of high school, just a complete difference. It was crazy, but I can guarantee that when you're homeschooling your kids, you have the input. You're making sure your kids are, you know, fully knowledgeable of certain subjects. You're spending that quality time. It's like you're making that personal investment and in making sure your children are attended to it educationally. Um, although, you know, even people whose kids go to regular school like mine, when they're home, you should still have that same investment. But I would love if to be able to homeschool if I had that patience and that time to do it myself. So I feel like black families are homeschooling. The main reasons because we want to make sure our kids are fully um, taken care of educationally. And you know, we have to rely on ourselves because we can't fortunately rely on others to take care of our kids how they need to be taken care of all right thank you
0: even though one of those voices was my own voice i do believe not exactly a formal education but knowledge can be the key to enhance a lot of the topics we discussed today what were some of your thoughts when you listened to candace lewis she will soon be a nonprofit owner of Healing Involves Perseverance in the Atlanta area. What were some of the things you thought about when she spoke of homeschool?
1: As I listened to what she was saying, the things that stuck out to me were the fact that Black families are taking control of their children's education, and and I'm very proud that we're at the place where we're able to bring our children home, and give them the quality education they deserve because of some of the issues that she spoke about, lack of funding, getting even some of just the basic lessons, and how parents are able to just be fully involved and fully invested in their children's education. When you homeschool your children, you're able to teach your children what you want to teach them. So, if they're not getting it out in the public school or the private school, you can give it to them at home. But like she also said, even if your children do go out to school into the public or private school system, you can still educate your children at home.
0: Yes, we have to get a Homeschool parent on one of our shows. I do have two friends that homeschool, and if I had children or adopted children, it would be my preferred method of education. And it's just protective, empowering, and I believe more focused instead of a teacher having a classroom full of 25, 30 kids, and out of those 30 kids, Five of them are on IEPs. Out of those, 25. Five of them are on another thing called a 504. And out of those 20, three of them are ESL. It's a lot for a teacher to do. So I do feel that not only do you empower them with a lot of black knowledge, but you also can give them that direct attention.
1: Yeah, and, and I think some teachers... In the education system really do care about the students and they really do care about giving these children a quality education. But the fact of the matter is you're one person. You may have an assistant and you have 30 students. There's just no possible way that you can give the undivided attention to each individual student as you would like to. Where at home, I don't know how people work their schools at home, but It's not like at school, you have school from 7.30 to to 3.30. Maybe at home, you can break it down. I can teach my second grader from 7 to 11. I can teach my eighth grader from 1 to 4. You have more leeway with how you're able to educate your children when Mm -hmm. you're homeschooling.
0: One other thing that I think is very cool about homeschool is we spoke of, of quilting. Your art class doesn't have to be making paper machés. You can develop a quilt with your child, and that way it's tied back to your culture. You can do classes on various foods around the world and ensure that they're all healthy. I believe there's a lot of growing not only for the child, but also the parent, because There's a quote that says, to be a teacher is to learn twice. So I think it also gives a lot of lead weight into different concerns you want to impact. If you feel that history focuses on white men, you can focus on people around the world. And like you said, there are things you have to ensure you do, but you have A lot more flexibility.
1: I think that's one of the benefits of homeschooling. And I think another benefit of homeschooling is that your children aren't subjected to some of the crises that many children are faced with in school, such as bullying and competition and other things that cause children a great deal of stress.
0: Yes, yes. What were some of your thoughts about my views of how education has enhanced? Or it's not really education, I believe it's attention to the lack of fairness. How did you feel about some of those things I discussed?
1: I'm excited about what you said about advocacy because it seems to me that there was a lot of discrimination, particularly. Towards little black boys in school, I noticed a lot of times. I used to work with children, and a lot of times they were being medicated, they were being diagnosed with ODD and ADD, and being placed in special education. Like you said, there is an overrepresentation in special education when, oftentimes. Those children should have been placed in the talented and gifted program because what was really happening is that they were bored out of their wits because they were too smart. they just had too much time on their hands because of their intellect. People weren't looking at that, so I'm glad to see that there are people advocating for them, and times are changing where the children have people looking out for their best interests.
0: Yes, and it's even discussed on national platforms i'm a member of an organization called national association of school psychologists i'm not a school psychologist but i went to school to be one i know that sounds like some bad joke but um (laughs) (laughs) they speak so much on culture sensitivity, discrepancies in testing. This is a national association for a particular group of professions that speaks about something concerning culture every instance that they get the opportunity to do so. So I'm just glad on a... I'm glad it's just not something that Black people are focusing on or saying I believe if more people see it more people will be able to impact it
1: when you're focusing at a national level that gets before more people
0: it goes back to something we talked about this episode it goes back to politics And those people in politics will be able to change some of the laws or give more funding. I think there's going to be a lot of changes. This episode has been a lot of work (laughs) getting voices from different people. But I was trying to think of what is a way we could summarize what this decade has been from 2010 to 2020. I wish I was smart enough to think of this all on my own. But as I was doing my research, I saw something talking about the decade of disruption. And that's what I think. Everything that we've talked about, in a sense, we've tried to disrupt financial discrepancies or the wealth gap. We've tried to disrupt what people think of our beauty by taking ownership of how God made us. We've tried to disrupt other people coming more involved in something. That was rooted in our ancestors' experiences. I think one way to summarize this decade is the decade of disruption. Whether it's from education, politics, media, closing the financial gap. I am overall proud of the achievements or at least the seeds we've sown from 2010 to 2020. And I think it's going to make a difference. In the upcoming decade, we planted the seeds. I believe next decade will be fruition. If this was disruption, the next decade will be fruition.
1: I think so too. I think we're going to see more and more changes as a result of the work that has been put in over this last decade and even the decade before this one. So the more we do, the more we grow. And I see. More change coming along.
0: All right, Latricia, we've talked about a lot, and I'm interested in hearing the principal challenge for this episode.
2: Principal challenge: live them out.
1: Our principal challenge for today is to reflect on what you've done over the last decade and decide how you want to make an impact over the next decade
0: yes and if you don't have any ideas you can visit livingtheprinciples principles 365.com subscribe to our newsletter to get the principles in action challenge list
1: before we close out you know i want to say something about this last year i know we've been focusing on this decade but i want to go back and look at this last year it was on January 1st 2019 that the idea of living the principles podcast was conceived and we finally gave birth to it in May on May 29th and then as we progressed through this year we were able to launch our website we were able to launch some t-shirts, and we have had 16 episodes. So I want to say thank you so much, Phyllis, for coming up with the idea of the podcast and for coming up with the idea of being the co-host in order for the podcast to even happen. So I'm excited about what we've done over this past year, how we have been able to get this podcast out to the world.
0: Latricia, it has been a journey that has helped not only me, but I'm sure many of our listeners, and we are a great yin and yang as co-hosts, so thank you for accepting me on this journey.
1: We want to thank everyone who contributed to this episode, and we also want to thank each and every listener, because without you we would have no podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Now that we've stopped being mushy, um, (laughs) open your mind, hearts, and ears for our next section, Spread the Good News. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles we spread. We spoke of politics. Pew research shows there has been an influx of black politicians across America. They believe one of the influences was our first black president, Barack Obama. And he ignited a flame in others except black politicians
6: And also run
0: as a politician. So I'm glad to see that we are growing in the political arena. We also discussed some of our creativity. Well, the Associated Press named Beyonce's Lemonade as the album of the decade. This album had hits that would be considered revolutionary, such as Formation and freedom we also spoke about a lot of movements that has happened over the last decade one movement that is notorious is black lives matter now they are focusing on defending against disinformation going into 2020 black lives matter has a vision to defend against disinformation going into 2020 they're still supporting many grassroots organizations around the country. So to that I say, salute for sticking around. That's all I have for the good news for today. Latricia, we're ready for our soul snack.
1: Our soul snack comes from a Cameroonian proverb. And it says, better little than too little. That's our show for today. Until next time, expand your mind and impact your communities.
0: Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.